Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our big island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're airing what could be called the rest of the story, when in July 2016, pilots Sidney Uimoto and David McMahon, who at the time were both pilots from Mokulele Airlines, landed their disabled small private plane 25 miles off the Kona coast in the Alinuihaha Channel and swam for shore. You may hear part one and other previous island conversations as podcasts at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com or download the podcast to your phone from wherever you get podcasts. In part one of this really compelling conversation, Sydney Uimoto told us about landing the plane in four to seven foot seas and starting to swim, including swimming through the night. Today, we're going to hear more, including from Sydney's mother, Kona resident Andrina Uimoto, about what the family knew and when. I have to warn you, this was one of my most favorite and also one of my most emotional interviews ever, recorded at the beginning of 2017. When we paused the conversation last week, Sydney and I had been talking about swimming overnight and how on the morning of July 15, 2016, they had spotted a shark. Let's get to our conversation with Sydney Uimoto. Was there a point at which you did feel like you were losing hope? Probably close to when we got rescued. I had like zero energy in me. We were trying to hit land before dark fall because we did not want to spend one more night in the ocean, especially since we saw the shark. It took everything of me to get going. Dave had kind of a second wind and I was struggling. You know, people would say, oh, you were so close to shore. You should have told Coast Guard, oh, I got it from here. <laughs> I told them, you know, you don't understand. I was so tired. I could not. It took all of me to, like, move. You were swimming for 20-plus hours. Yeah. And that's a lot of swimming. Yes. We had the conversation in the water. I think it was the morning. He said, oh, I think we broke our personal records of how long you can stay in the ocean. I said, oh, I'm sure. We've been in here for overnight. <laughs> When you got into the water, David's life vest was not properly functioning. How did you guys manage? Was he swimming without a life vest? Did it work at all? It did not work at all. In the middle of the night, he was getting really tired. I told him, let me take a look at it. I realized it was a two-part life vest. So he inflated one side that did not inflate. And so I pulled down on the tab on the other side and it inflated. So he had half a life vest. And it was still leaking, so what he did was he blew up the other half, and he would stick his finger in the hole and clog it. And I'm surprised he didn't lose his finger. And what he and I both did was we kept the red tube in our mouth. You know how they talk about the red tube you can blow in? Just kept it in our mouth, and every time I exhaled, I would blow into it just to keep mine inflated. On Friday, there's a rescue helicopter. Tell us about those moments when you realized there was actually a rescue helicopter that had seen these two little people swimming in the ocean. It was emotional. I mean, all morning we didn't really see anybody. We saw two helicopters that looked like Blue Hawaiian. And I just asked Dave, I said, hey, my uncle works for them. You think that's him? And he said, oh, maybe. Were you guys trying to wave at them? And No matter how high they were, we <laughs> waved at them. And nobody could see you. And nobody could see us. Wow. Finally, Dave was kind of like, oh, you know, I don't think anybody's coming. And from afar, coming from Kona Airport, I saw a helicopter. And I said, oh, 
this looks like a search and rescue. It was orange. And he said, no, I don't think so. And it kind of flew diagonally across the channel towards Maui. And we were waving at it, waving at it, and it flew right past us. And he said, yeah, nobody's out here looking for us today. You know, I think at that point he was getting frustrated. It's just been so long. We continued to swim, and I said, oh, I hear it again. And he turns around, and he looks at it, and he's like, oh, this is it, Sid. This is the one God sent for us. And I looked, and it was just like this tiny dot. And I was just like, okay, Dave, well, I'm going to keep swimming because, you know, this whole time we've been getting our hopes up and it comes back down. And as it got closer, I realized it was coming directly for us where we were. We stopped swimming and we were just waving and waving. And then you know that they acknowledge you when they start to circle. And so they started making their turn. And we were like, oh, my God, I think they see us. And then when they did their full turn around us and you could see the guys in the back of the helicopter and we would wave to them and they waved back to us. That was our acknowledgement that they do see us. They stayed with us until the helicopter that had the diver came. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was like a movie. So when the helicopter comes that has the diver, tell us how that was. We didn't know what was going on up there. And it kept circling us and we were like, what's going on? We were trying to look for another helicopter, trying to look for a boat. Did they drop anything to you, like a, a raft? or No. I- My main concern was there's a shark in the water. Get me out. <laughs> but come to find out later, that crew, I guess, was a, a crew that was actually just getting off. So they didn't have a fully equipped helicopter. I think they were taking people back to base. And they got a call from our very own pilots at Mokulele who spotted something. And when they got that call, they said, oh, we're, we're nearby. We'll go take a look. And so that's when they did their first diagonal out. I think they said one of their people on the plane, I think she's from Maine, and said that it looked like crabs, those traps. But they told her that, oh, we don't have those out here. And so when they went to go check out what it was, it was us. What if she didn't speak up about it? And they weren't fully equipped for a rescue, and so they stayed with us. And then maybe five, ten minutes later, the helicopter that had the diver on came. You see the diver from the back. They lower him down in the basket. He swims to us, and... He's like, oh, you don't know how happy we are to see you. We've been looking for you. And we looked at him like, you don't know how happy we are to see you. (laughs) Dave gives him like this high five. And he explains to us what's going to happen. He's like, here, I'm going to grab you. I'll take you underneath the helicopter. The basket is submerged. I'll put you right over it. And you'll be in the basket and it'll raise you up. He takes the life vest out of my hand. He throws it out. Because we weren't wearing it at that time. He like hooks onto me. And I didn't know what to do. So I kind of just helped him kick (laughs) because... It was just kind of like, do I let you drag me? Or, or <laughs> I guess you'd never been rescued before. I've never been rescued anymore. <laughs> and so uh, he puts you into the basket. We kind of had a hard time because the basket is under the water. And it's like a big picnic basket. You're like, you're sitting in it and you're just holding on and it's bringing you up. Once you get to the helicopter, they bring you in. You get out, you sit in a chair and then they'll send it back down. And I got to watch Dave get rescued. Wow. Yeah. I bet you were eager to have some water once you got to the helicopter. Yes. The diver actually offered us his hydro flask. And so I took it, Dave took it, and they found these boxes, I guess, that had a sandwich, banana, famous Amos cookies, and a bottle of water. We both got ours, and Dave was just, like, grinding it up. 
I had so much salt in my mouth. My mouth was dried out. It was so sore. It was like when you burn your tongue, but your whole mouth. And so even drinking water hurt. And so I ate maybe like half a banana. I couldn't really eat or drink a lot. And side note on that, maybe like two hours prior to us getting rescued, Dave told me, oh, you should keep your mouth closed so the salt water doesn't <laughs> come in your mouth. And I was just thinking in my head, oh, like I told him, thank you, you know, but I was just thinking like, really, you couldn't have told me this like 18 hours ago. <laughs> Yeah, my mouth was all dried out and his was fine because he kept his mouth shut. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah. It's good you can laugh about all this. I want to mention that although Sydney's mom, Andrina, is here in the studio with us today, we weren't sure if she would be able to be here when Sydney and I talked. So I actually talked with Andrina a couple of weeks ago about what this experience was like for her and for Stan. I'd like to share that interview now so everybody knows what Sydney's parents were feeling and hearing and learning during this whole ordeal. To give the perspective of a mom whose girl was missing somewhere in the ocean, and at that time the fate of both Sydney and David was completely unknown. So here's my conversation with Andrina Uimoto, recorded several weeks before I talked with Sydney. How did you and Stan first get the word? Actually, it all started because I knew she was coming home. So she sent me a message and said, I'll be landing at such and such time. So because she was on a private plane, I thought, okay, I'll give her half an hour and then I'll go get her. And then immediately after that, she texted and said, we have trouble with headwinds. So 15 minutes more than her original time. So I said, okay, so I'll wait 15 minutes more. Well, I got there as planned, nothing. And of course, I'm an aggressive mother. (laughs) So I usually wait for her at the end of the runway at Mokalele so that I can see her and I wave, hi. So I waited and I waited, half an hour went by. So I called her phone and it went directly to voicemail. So then I thought, well, maybe they turned around, you know, maybe. So I waited some more, waited some more. Then this plane came in for landing. It wasn't commercial airline, so I thought, okay, that's her. Because I've never seen this plane before that she was flying. So I ran out to the runway by the fence, and I'm like waving and waving and waving, hi. And the plane just goes right by and never stopped. So I thought, oh, that's not her. About an hour goes by, and I realize, okay, she's not calling me. It's going straight to voicemail. I need to find out what's going on. So I text her very best friend who at that time is in Los Angeles, I believe. And all I said was, do you know anything about Sydney's flight? He calls me back immediately and says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm trying to find out. I'll let you know as soon as I find out. So I said, what are you sorry about? I guess he assumed I knew. And he says, Auntie, I heard her plane went down. And I totally freaked out. I said, no, no. And so he asked, he goes, where are you? I said, I'm at the airport, I'm waiting for her to come home. And I hung up. I didn't want to hear him talking anymore. So if I remember this correctly, Cher, this gentleman drove up and asked me if I was okay. And I said, no, I'm not okay. And are you still out at the end of the runway? I am still out at the end of the runway. Well, you're not at the runway, but you're in the parking lot, you know, right by Paradise Helicopter, Mokalele in that parking lot. So he goes, can I help you? And I said, well, did you hear anything about a plane going down? And this man says, oh, you mean the Mokalele pilot? And I look, I said, I don't know, I don't know, was there a plane that went down? He goes, well, I think that girl Mokalele pilot. And so I looked at him, and I think the look on my face answered him back saying, this lady doesn't know. And he just said, you know what, I think I just got it all wrong. They're probably just practicing out there. And he drove off. I then called Clyde, who works with me. 
told him, you need to go get my husband. He goes, what's going on? I said, can you just go get him and bring him here? So he did what he was told. <laughs> Called another friend for spiritual support. I needed somebody that believed in God to help me, remind me to keep it all in his hands. Immediately he came. And then I called another friend, Jen and Rance. I knew Rance had authority to get in the gates because he's an airport employee. So he had a badge to get in the gates. So I called them and they came. About 6.15. And wait a minute. And this, this whole incident started about 3.30. And you have not yet been officially mm-hmm. notified? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. At the same time, this friend, Sydney's very close friends from Los Angeles, he calls me. He says, you know, I haven't found word yet. But they said it's him. Social media is crazy. They were getting all this stuff off of Facebook, you know, and all this thing. And I told him, well, John, nobody told me. So I'm just going to sit here and wait. And I hung up again. I just, I don't want to talk to you, you know. So about 6.15 came, my husband came about 6.30, Delbert, my partner in God, he came. And finally, I just said, I got to call somebody. So he tried calling FAA, he tried calling the tower. They wouldn't give, you know, who are you? Can't give you any information. I finally called the owner of the plane. How did you know who the owner of the plane was? The friend in Los Angeles. I said, get me that guy's number. I need to talk to him. He got the number, called me back, gave me the phone number. But at that time, I couldn't talk already. I was like, just, is it true? No, no. So he called the owner of the plane. The owner of the plane told him, I can't talk to her at this time. I'm too busy. This is my attorney's number. So with that message coming back, it kind of almost solidified that there is something going on. About 6.30, quarter to 7, maybe. Sun was still out. Sun was still out. I called 911. And, you know, they answer, fire, medical, or police. And I said, Coast Guard. They connect me immediately. And all I said was, my name is. And she didn't even ask me what my daughter's name was. And all they said was, Mrs. Uemoto, search and rescue has started. That's how I found out. Oh, my gosh. I had to go and call. But by that time, my husband already knew How did Stan know? He called Captain Daryl Grace. He's friends of the family. He helped Sydney to her aviation, what to do. He knew that he would know, and he would tell us. And he told Stan, yes. I heard it on the radio, and that's how I found out. Wow. I'm just astounded that nobody called you and Stan, you know, like from, I realize they were not flying for Mokulele at the time, but either from Mokulele or from the Coast Guard. Nobody tried to contact us. When I contacted them, they wanted to know where I was, and somebody was coming to be with me. Oh, my gosh, Sherry, I totally flipped out. By that time, it was like, what? I couldn't talk already. I I hardly said anything. I don't think I sat down until maybe 5 o'clock the next morning. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. At the point that they finally realized it was you and that you needed to know, you said they sent somebody to be with you. Who did they send and where were you? Are you still at the airport at this point? Yes, we never left. When they finally told me that search and rescue is out there looking for her, I told Stan that we're, we're not going home. We're not going home until my girl comes home. We're staying here and we're waiting. So Officer Lieutenant Kahi was my Coast Guard angel that came to be with us. I could tell that he was a little overwhelmed because he did say that, if I remember correctly, he did say that he's fairly new. But bless his heart, because with him being there, it gave my husband and I hope. He explained what was going on, and his helicopters come in every two hours to refuel, rest, and go back out. And they were doing it right on target. That really gave me strength to keep hoping that she was all right. 
And just a brief interruption, and let me tell you, I hate to interrupt because this is just such a compelling conversation. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. We're here on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX, B97, B93, and KPUA 670 AM in Hilo every single week. And you may hear our podcasts online, kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com, or download from wherever you get podcasts. Let's hear a word from KTA Superstores before we get back to Andrina Uimoto, and we will hear again from Sydney and I'm going to give you an update on the pilots, Sydney Uimoto and David McMahon, and what they're doing now. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local, so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And now back to pilot Sydney Uimoto's mom, Andrina Uimoto, who, along with her husband Stan, was waiting at the airport to hear word of the downed plane and the pilots. Did he explain to you all of the search and rescue operations, who was looking, and what they were actually doing? Yes. And I'm thinking 25 miles out to sea. How far is that? I'm trying to think, how far is that? Can she see us? Can she see the island? And I'm thinking survival mode. If she can see that island, she is swimming home. And that's exactly what she did. I can see home, Mom. I'm coming home. I'm not waiting because her hours out there already, what, three hours, four hours, she already saw them pass maybe more than five times overhead. And they just could not see Sydney and David? Because Coast Guard said they landed in rough waters. They were struggling. I would say they were struggling just to stay afloat for a while, you know, the initial shock of crash landing and then... She said David had to almost babysit her for the first hour because she was just crying and crying and crying. You know, she was being a girl. (laughs) Yeah. At what point did you get notified that they had been found? The next day, as we went into the next day, it was still early morning, maybe 10. And you're still at the airport and you've not left? I have not left. And are you at the Mokalele part of the airport? Well, that's the thing. I think because... I was getting a little agitated and stressed a little more because another day's coming. If there's a day, there's a night. Night's coming. And, you know, I kept looking at my watch. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning, but still night's coming. It's coming again. So I was getting a little agitated, and I think I was reacting a little bit more as far as crying. So they came. The airport security and administration came and offered us a room, which was really nice. We need to get your room so that you're more comfortable in the AC. But inside of my head, I really didn't want to go. Because if I get in that room, she's not going to be able to see me. She won't find her way home. I needed her to know I was there. How was Stan during all of this? Stan was my rock. I asked him to not let the sun go down, and he said, okay. So now it's about 10 in the morning on Friday, July 15th. So they come, and I tell Stan they want to move us. I think they want to move us because, like I said, social media is so like wildfire. They knew where we were. I think the media knew where we were. They found out. So I think the airport and the Coast Guard was trying to protect us. 
So they wanted us to move. So we all went, and I had an awesome amount of support with me there. It was amazing. So we went to this training room closer to the customs tent. I sat in there maybe for about 20 minutes, and then I said, I can't sit in here. I can't sit in here. She can't see me. I can't see her. I need to go outside. So I sat outside. Now, their flight, when they come in, the helicopters, they come in, they fuel, and they head straight out to Maui. That's their flight every time they come in. This one helicopter came in fueled, not even half an hour. Usually it's one hour break. Instead of going straight out to Maui, he went straight out north. So I watched this helicopter fly by and I thought, oh, where's he going? I think at that time they found her. And at that time, it was really weird. Her god sister came to sit with me, Annie. And she says, you don't want to go inside? And I said, no, I need for Sydney to know that I'm out here. And then this breeze came, Sherry. And along with that breeze was this calm. And I said, you feel that? And she goes, what? I said, I feel her. I think I even smell her. And then about an hour later, they said, came in, they got her. Did your Coast Guard contact tell you that they had spotted them in the water? No. By the time they told us, she was already on the tarmac. Oh, my gosh. They were already on a tarmac. They said that a Mokalele plane, that's the plane that spotted them. So that sent the Coast Guard out to look. They didn't want to tell us, Stan or I, until it was confirmed it was Sydney and David. Well, until they knew that they were alive. Right. True. Yeah. And then they told us. So by the time we got to the tarmac, they were already there. David was already in the ambulance. And I went in there, and I've never met this boy before, ever. I went to see Sydney, and I said, Sydney, where's the other pilot? And she says, I think he's in there. So I went, and I could only see his toes. And I wiggled his toes, and I said, David? And he said, yes. I said, I'm Mrs. Uemoto. And he says, hello. <laughs> And I said, I just wanted to tell you, thank you. Thank you for being with my girl. And he says, you have no idea. She saved me. And they say that about each other. And that is awesome. I'd say Sydney and David will have a lifelong connection. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Did you at any time talk with David's parents? Yes. During the time when they were still lost? No. I never made contact. The whole night, I never turned my phone on to look at the news. The next morning I did, and that's when I saw her picture. And I said, oh my gosh, it actually is happening. I was still in denial until I saw her picture. Even if the Coast Guard said, yeah, we're out there looking, you know, it might not be her. Because they really couldn't identify. First they said it was two men, and then it said it was one girl, and she was like 24, 25, or 21, or 22. So there wasn't any confirmation. So Stan and I was kind of like hoping, no, 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 no. You know, Sherry, this will never be forgotten. Stan and I will forever be in debt to everybody, all our friends, our family. Even if you weren't there that day, I know that there is prayers going out. There were many, many people on the island who either know you and Stan and who knew Sydney growing up who mm -hmm. just were feeling what you were feeling and just sending so much aloha, so many prayers, hoping for the best. Yep, and we're just so grateful and those prayers, it's amazing what prayer can do. I asked Sydney, because I'm her mother, she's a student that went to Kamehameha schools, cried every night, told her, come home. No. Until she was like, I don't know, 15 or 16, cried every night, would not do sleepovers because she didn't want to leave home. So I'm thinking about her out there in the night. How did you make it, Sid? What helped you through this ordeal? Her belief in God, her scriptures, and mom. She says, that's all I had in my mind, was getting home to you. Once she came home, did you and Stan consider not ever letting her leave the house again? We did. <laughs> <laughs> 
We did. I started looking around on the internet and in newspaper telling her, oh, look, Macy's is hiring. <laughs> oh, look, in Honolulu, Zippy's is hiring, you know. <laughs> we did have the talk, like, whatever you decide, if you don't want to do this, there's other jobs in aviation, mechanic, safety pilot. You know, there's other things you can do. At one point, she said, you know, maybe. I, you know, just don't be upset if I don't. I said, no, I'm not going to be upset. After months staying home with us, she says, no, I'm going to go back. We hired an instructor to go up with her so that she can ease back into it, yeah? She said it was really rough. She couldn't land the plane the first time. I do believe the instructor said, that's fine. We have gas for at least two hours. Let me know when you're ready. (laughs) She said the first flight home on Mokulele as she's flying into Kona, she said that was the most emotional for her. When she landed the plane, got up and left again, she said she immediately remembered why she loved it. Her office view is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Andrina, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you, Cher. For giving me the opportunity to, again, tell everybody thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was a conversation with Andrina Uimoto, Sydney Uimoto's mom. Now let's get back to the last part of our conversation with pilot Sydney Uimoto. So, Sydney, when you landed in the rescue helicopter at Kona Airport, when the Coast Guard brought you in, tell us what that was like. Now, I don't know if it had anything to do with the accident, but all I was thinking was, please let this helicopter land safely. Because what is your luck if you get rescued by the helicopter and then the helicopter, like, (laughs) crashes, you know? So I was thinking about that in the back of my mind, like, please land safely. I had no idea where we were going. And then I saw Kona Airport, so I was like, okay, we're going to Kona Airport. I didn't know where on Kona Airport we were at. I had no idea where they were at. I thought they were at home. I literally thought that she was at home crying in my clothes on my bed. (laughs) So I had no idea where she was. And so we landed. They told us to come out. Were you able to walk? I mean, did you have any strength to be able to do that? I didn't. I needed a little bit of assistance. From what I heard was when the diver rescued us and grabbed he said he could feel just our body just come to like a complete like just rest where you just felt our bodies just kind of (sighs) like... You'd been exercising for more than 20 hours. (laughs) In that short helicopter ride, my body did kind of start shutting down, I guess. I needed help walking to the stretcher. Fire was there, getting all the vitals. They were just waiting on the ambulance. And I guess one of the airport fire guys knew mom and so he was like i was just talking to your mom and i guess i didn't really connect it and they said oh here comes the paramedics and at that point i was just kind of like in a neck brace just stiff from my left comes the paramedic and it ended up being my uncle michael lamb he's like on his knees in front of me and he's looking up at me with tears in his eyes and he's like how are you you do not know how happy i am to see you and they said i i am very happy to see you And he said, you gave us such a scare. Is there anything I can do for you? And I said, I need to call mom. I don't think she knows I'm okay. He said, okay, we'll we'll get that happening. When they were getting me ready to go into the ambulance, I heard something about families or something. And all of a sudden, here's dad over me. And and I look at him and I said, sorry, dad, happy birthday. And he's just laughing. And then mom comes to the left of me. And I look up at her and I said, sorry for making you worry. I had no idea they were at the airport the whole time. It was really nice to see them before I went into the ambulance. What kind of medical treatment did you and David need at that point? Because I know you were taken to Kona Hospital. Yeah. The main concern was we were very dehydrated and we were hypothermic. 
So they had us wrapped up in that foil blanket. Did you actually feel cold? I don't think so. Until I was in the blanket and I was like, oh, it's a little chilly. Or my body couldn't stop shaking. I was looking up at the paramedics because they're working on you the whole time they're driving. They're like dripping sweat. And come to find out they had like the heater on full blast in the ambulance. And we had no idea. They were giving us warmed up IV. I needed treatment for the stings. So they gave me like burn ointment. How Uh about your nose, your broken nose? Looks fine now. Yeah, I refuse to let anybody touch it. I wouldn't even let her touch it. Why, because it hurt? It hurt. When we got to the hospital, it was basically, we were sunburnt, dehydrated, cold, and hungry. I know that you and David were interviewed extensively by aviation authorities, and I don't know if that's the National Transportation Safety Board or the FAA or who, but having seen the movie Sully and seeing what they went through, I can imagine that it was grueling. Can you share what went on there? Is that something you can tell us about? Yeah, they're just doing their jobs. Aviation is something that, you know, they want it to be safe, and it is safe. Their job is to make sure that as pilots, we are qualified, we are practicing what we're doing safely. And basically, it was just protocol when you do get into an accident where you have to go under an investigation with the FAA. You send in a report to the NTSB. They're trying to figure out what went wrong. For Dave and I, we had to do like a checkup ride with them so they knew we were good and safe. Did they reach any conclusions about the failure of the engines and the entire plane? I'm guessing they never found the plane if the plane went down, yeah? Yeah, they said that it'll go under unknown. Because this channel goes down to 18,000 feet deep, it is up to the owner of the aircraft and his insurance company whether or not they want to retrieve that aircraft. Without an aircraft, you can't really tell what caused it. I've been told that the Coast Guard was unable to reach the owner of the plane during the search to find out details about the plane. Has the owner of that plane reached out to you and David at all? No. And the owner of that plane lives here on the Big Island in Kona? Yes. I'm sort of surprised the owner of the plane didn't want to talk to the pilots who could have lost their lives. Talk about how it felt to fly again after this truly amazing experience. My first flight was not with Mokulele after this. It was a training flight in a Piper Seminole, which is another twin aircraft. The instructor that I was with was very understanding. He said, you know, this flight is yours. If you want to stop at any time, we can turn around and go back. We don't have to do anything extreme. Just take it up for a ride, get the feel for it back again. And it ended up going well. A month and a half later, Dave and I both returned to work at the same time. Recently, I've actually gotten feeling back at home in the airplane, and I've been having really good days at work now. (laughs) So you don't have any trepidation about flying? No, not at all. I would be pretty pleased if I had a pilot who I knew could land in the ocean, because not too many pilots can say they can do that. When you do go on to another airline, you can certainly say you have a unique experience that probably almost 100% of other pilots do not have. Yeah. Looking back on this experience, what kind of perspective can you put this in? I mean, what do you think about this? This is just such an amazing experience that you and David had together that I'm guessing you'll never have again with anybody. So just perspective on this. Considering this situation, I actually find it a blessing. After everything happened, I definitely slowed down in life and tried to enjoy more. Beforehand, like I told you, I was so driven and getting all my hours done and trying to get to regional fast, trying to get to Hawaiian fast. With everything, I just kind of took it as like, oh, just, you know, slow down. Enjoy the journey. And so I went on a bunch of trips. I went to Palm Springs with mom. 
you know, I did things I didn't think I'd ever do. Go do it, you know. Life is short. Relationships got stronger. People got closer. Life kind of got better. And between Dave and I, there's always this special bond now. There, I don't know, there's a feeling that comes over me, and I'm just I feel like, oh, you know, that's Dave, and I'm so proud of him. I mean, I guess I'm proud of myself, too, for getting back on the horse. Well, I would say that David McMahon is your brother for life. Yeah, definitely. His family is super grateful. We're grateful for them. And I told David in the water, from not knowing you, we have surpassed all these friendship levels. You're now at, like, the top. No kidding. He and I have done something that I probably will never do with anybody else Well, one thing I'm really glad about, I heard you say that you guessed you're proud of yourself, and you should be proud of yourself, because to have the courage to fight through that day and night, to have the presence of mind to land an airplane in rolling ocean water, which is something that a whole lot of people couldn't do, they might have panicked at the last minute, I think a lot of people are proud of you, and certainly everybody who knew you and knows the family, we were just all there for everybody. But even people who don't know you, people were pulling for you all over the world. Do you feel like you have a special purpose in life now with this miracle of living through an experience that the odds were good that you might not have survived? Sometimes I forget that, not forget that it happens, but it's really hard for me to like, did I really, like this morning, I was flying in from Honolulu and I was looking over the ocean between Maui and Kona. I'm looking out at that channel, and I'm just like, I was really down there for 20 hours. And I'm trying to get my mind to comprehend that. And I don't know if it's because it was something so traumatic that your memory puts it in a different area of your brain. But sometimes I'll be emotional about it, and sometimes I'm not. I feel like it's a second chance at life, because in a sense, I did escape death. People want to talk to me about it, and they, oh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. And I'm just like, oh, I don't mind sharing my story. There's hope. There's faith. People can take so many things away from it, and... I like to share it just so that I can, you know, spread that blessing and that feeling. Do you feel like you've matured as a result of this? Um, hmm. (laughs) What do you think, Mom? To a certain extent, I would say that she has matured more so in the relationship with everyone. She has not taken for granted what everyone has gone through, family, friends, and strangers. And so with her saying that she wants to share her story, I am so blessed with that because I really think she should because everybody that has prayed for her, everybody that was wishing her well, deserves to know that she is well. And that's the conclusion of my conversation with Sydney Uemoto, a young pilot with Mokalele Airlines at the time, who on July 14th, 2016, had to land her disabled small private plane in the Ali Nui Haha Channel, and along with her co-pilot friend, David McMahon, swim for shore. And with Andrina Uemoto, Sydney's mom. And a current update now that it's mid-2019. First on Sydney, she moved on from Mokalele Airlines and worked on a larger carrier on the mainland, a normal progression for pilots. On July 12, 2019, Sydney Uemoto flew her final flight with American Eagle. Sydney Uemoto is now moving to what I know she's always said would be her dream job with Hawaiian Airlines. I think she's going to be doing international flights so that if you hear that Sydney Uemoto is your pilot, 
I'm thinking you're in pretty good shape. And David McMahon, he's currently with a regional air carrier on the mainland, and I think his goal as well is to come back to Hawaiian Airlines. Thank you so much for listening to Island Conversations. I look forward to having you back again next week. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until then, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.